Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Tally-ho, tally-ho, which is, of course, REF speak for enemy aircraft spotting, sir. Um, we are recording this episode of We Have Ways of Making You Talk on the anniversary of the most famous RAF operation of all time. On the night of the 16th to the 17th of May, 1943, Guy Gibson led the Dambusters raid. Operation Chastise, 617 Squadron, a mission to blow important dams. You know the story. You know the story. I mean, I mean, this is, I'll tell you what, it would be an amazing publishing achievement to do the forgotten Dambusters read. If you could, <laughs> if you could sell that in, Jim, that would be an act of, yeah, that would but, be an act of but, genius. Oh, no, okay. Can I just tell you that when I was, when I was sort of, um, I wasn't thinking about writing this, writing my book on the Dambusters. Roland White, friend of the show, old yeah, mate yeah. of mine, said to me, you should really do a book on the Dambusters. And I went, haven't there been like a billion books on the Dambusters? And he said, you'd think that, but no, there hasn't. There hasn't been a single narrative history of the raid. Yeah. There has been that, a narrative yeah, history yes, of 617 Squadron, yeah. which includes the raid, but not just yeah. the raid. Yeah. And you know what? He was absolutely right. Yeah. So <laughs> when I wrote a book, I then did a forward because I thought people might think exactly what I'd thought. So I yeah. made it very, very clear that you might think there was lots and lots of books about the narrative histories about the Dazway, but actually there aren't. This is the first. <laughs> Bloody Dominic Sandbrook, friend of the sh- um, um, yeah. co-presenter of the Sister podcast, yeah, yeah. That lot, then yeah. did this review where he said, a quick look on Amazon shows that there are, you know, 432 different books with Dan Busters in the title bastard anyway so i then wrote to him saying a quick search on amazon shows there are ten and a half thousand books with the word 70s written in it <laughs> i've just about forgiven him oh brilliant right now um should we look we have we've had an email and this is this is interesting um yeah it's, uh, it's, this it's is very interesting now um we get a lot of correspondence at we eight ways hq all of it read much of it enjoyed um occasionally we get something that makes us think about what we've believed and said in the past tom got in touch with the following hi guys first things first i absolutely love the pod i've just become a patron after binge listening to all the episodes in the last month i commute a lot Blimey. One recurring theme throughout is your criticism of belt-fed weapons, particularly those of the Second World War variant, especially when weighed against the Bren, something I've never fully agreed with, but I've bound down to the expert's knowledge, but recently <laughs> mentioned the gym thing. And I had to intervene as having served nine years in three parry during a Herrick tour. I feel like I have something to add. I feel that when talking about machine guns, you missed the point about their purpose. Machine guns are a suppressive weapon system, not necessarily one that's intended to hit the target. If they can, be, if they can then great. But again, it's designed to be suppressive. They're designed not to be too accurate, but to have a beaten zone. Secondly, the very basics of British Army doctrine upon contact is to win the firefight. 
This involves a weight of fire that puts the enemy's heads down and keeps it there, thus suppressing them and fixing them, which enables your Charlie fire team to move up to the enemy and grenade shoot bayonet them in the face. While this is going on, the Delta fire team or a second platoon are clearly needed to maintain a suppressive fire. This is far more effectively done with a machine gun than a rifle for numerous reasons. However, is a soldier typically only carries six bombed up mags, which if you're not careful or your attacking fire team platoon takes a while to get to position, you can shoot through quite quickly. If this happens, what may only be a four-man fire team maybe needs to lose one soldier to rebomb and redistribute magazines. Not always the best way of doing things. However, a machine gunner with a belt-fed system can simply have a number two attach a fresh belt to the end of the one already attached maintaining your fire. Additionally, a well-maintained jimpy doesn't jam that much. When it does, it can usually be sorted out either by cocking the weapon again or a quick upload, unload and reload, which a well-trained gunner can do in under 10 seconds. When it comes to changing barrels too, the number two can do that so quickly that fire is barely interrupted and can give the weapon a pull through while the gun is firing. I just think this is potentially one of the very rare cases of practical professional experience of soldiering trumps the theoretical side of things. As for the mini-me being... Use an example. It didn't jam because the belt's getting dusty. It jammed because it was a piece of shit. <laughs> Finally, uh, while modern warfare is increasingly urbanizing, many contacts in Afghan, particularly in the desert, were 400 meters plus, where assault rifle fire becomes dramatically less effective. And you don't always have your assets on demand to change that, particularly if you're fighting a modern enemy with counter-battery fire, anti-aircraft capabilities, etc., like we're seeing in Ukraine. Sorry for the essay, but the Jimpies were the real battle winners in Afghan, and I felt like I had to defend it. Love the pod, Tom. Well, that is... I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with Tom at all. But what I am going to say is, is what's interesting is he's talking about Afghanistan, um, which isn't clo- which isn't the close country that we necessarily we often talk about in Europe. The, the 400 meters plus is very interesting because after when they were when the army was di- was wrestling with what to do about its rifle at the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, they end up with the. The SMLE, the Lee Enfield, as we know it, the bolt action rifle, which needed to be able to drop someone at distances of over 400 meters, after all, maybe a thousand meters, which is why you ended up with such a big round in the rifle that has essentially come through to the Jimpy, because it's roughly the same size 303, 762, kind of the same, aren't they? Is it 762, the Jimpy, or 792? Anyway, but the point is, the thing, he's right, but it's, but doctrine has changed. And doctrine has changed according to battlefields and experience and also ideas about beaten ground lethality. And a big reason for the magazine weapon like the Bren is, after all, you're building a machine gun for imperial um, uh, uh, policing, as it's called, as well as fighting in Europe and the desert. And you need to carry magazines and your logistical trail does your logistical train does not allow f- for great big belts of ammunition. Because it's the British Army are trying to do things on the yeah. I, I mean, I, I, no, I mean, it's I mean, really, really uh, he's absolutely right. Of course, he's absolutely right. I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with anything he said at all. But, but to be fair, I also I don't think I've 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 ever said that the um, MG forty two wasn't an incredibly effective weapon. And I've always said what an MG forty two does is puts down a huge amount of lead in a very very short. You know. Yeah. It, 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 and certainly when you're contacting the enemy first time, that's absolutely fantastic. The problems with the MG42 are not the problems that I think Tom would have faced so much with his Jimpy out in Afghanistan, yeah. which is overheating barrels, you know, no really obvious means of changing the barrel on the MG42. Yeah. The fact that it, it, it overheats very, very quickly because of its colossal rate of fire um, and because the barrels weren't yeah. s- suitable for that colossal rate of fire, that's the problems yeah. with the MG42. It's not. It's not that it's yeah. belt fed, and it's not that it it can fire incredibly um, high rate of fire. It's 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 
its other issues. And that's because, you know, it's still comparatively early days for a, a machine gun like that. And, yeah. you know, they just haven't sorted things out. Um, I think what I've always and said is what you really want is a Bren and an MG42. Or you really want a, a 30 millimeter, a point thirty caliber, um, rather, um, that the Americans have, which is fantastic. It was a bit, it was a bit cumbersome, and you could put it on that little tripod, tripod yeah. or you could just literally put it on the top of a of a slit trench yeah. and just fire. I mean, and it was the- heavier than some of the others, but that was belt fed, and it was also yeah. belt fed with cotton links rather than brass yeah. links, which is obviously incredibly expensive for the Germans, and they don't have that resources really. Um, and it fired at a, you know more like six hundred rounds a minute. Which I mean, for the technology of the day was a better rate of fire, but you can I still mean, just the, keep firing it all day. I mean, the other thing is, is we're leaving the Vickers gun always get always falls through the cracks in these discussions. Yeah, yes, and um, the British have that. They have those machine gun companies precisely to do that job of suppressing yeah, fire at yeah. four hundred meters distance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and further, and Vickers, further, Vickers guns on art being fired indirectly is um is a yeah. thing that. that uh, and I should just often. say there is there is not a set piece attack that wouldn't have Vickers gun companies involved. Yeah. Not yeah. at all. So yeah. so when you're talking about your infantry and armour going forward, you're also talking about those machine gun companies and mortar yeah. crews and all the rest yeah. of it, you know, firing away left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah. So they're I mean, doing that of, suppressing round. I mean, I mean, this is... That suppressing I mean, this is, this is... I mean, partly this sort of also kind of says that a lot of what was going on in Afga- Afghanistan was, was an attempt to do things without committing, you know, without committing fully, you know, uh, and Tom's having to deal with the results of that is what yeah. he's talking about, isn't he? In a yeah. way, you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. after all, are we fighting a war? Are we doing police action or whatever? I mean, I would, Tom, I would, I would absolutely recommend, thank you so much for this. Yeah, because, it's fascinating. Um, actual coal face, fascinating stuff. I would really recommend, Tom, that you read um, uh, uh, Matthew Ford's book, Weapon of Choice, which is about the development of these weapons and the interaction between soldiers, politicians, engineers, um, uh, and how they how that affects the delivery of, wep- of a weapon system. You know, because two, uh, the, the two and three power took uh, extra jimpies to the Falklands with them because they were told they were told they absolutely had to, that that, that was the way they were going to do things. And they ended up, you know, that's, that, that's what puts the jimpy at the heart of the, of the, um, the, the way the parachute regiment certainly was, was thinking about supporting fire, which is, which up to that point, the British army was, had, have been trying to use a version of the Bren, hadn't they? There was a Bren gun with a rimless round that had carried on into the eighties. Because after all, yeah, it's called the LMG, exactly. And this segues into what we're going. One of the things we're going to talk about. I just want to, you know, there's a, a book that both of us have read. Oh yes, um, okay, yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I thought and, we were going to talk about Creek first. But... Well, we'll get to Creek. I was we'll just get going to, to highlight my notes, the highlight notes, and uh, his weapons were seven point nine two. A millimeter MG forty two machine guns about which much nonsense has been written. It says I, I love in that. this book. I like that. And the book we are the book we are talking about is um, Victory in the West by uh, by the man himself, Peter Caddick Adams. Um, yes, which is, um, and I read it. I read it. I was on. I was in Crete last week on holiday, and um, and tried to not tried to have have a break from. <laughs> No, it's not possible. It's not possible. I wanted the war to be over just for one week. But it wasn't, it wasn't you, possible. You sound like Rachel. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, and and you sent me a PDF, of, kindly sent me a PDF of um, uh, Peter's book. And it is it's absolutely um, 
astonishing. It, it, it's, I think it's the best thing he's written oh, by miles. By, by, by absolute miles. By and, miles and miles and miles. Yes. And the, and the, it, what's really, what I love about it is his last book. That I remember the thing I really loved. The thing I really, really, I mean, apart from the fact it's comprehensive, uh, giant, you know, and I'm, I'm just doing the proof notes on my, on my book. It is a big book. I mean, I'm it's going to hold it up book. for you now. Yeah. Well, that's a big book. It's not as big. It's not as big as its predecessor. No, it's right? definitely but, but, not. But no. what I really love in in in, in 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 the in the you know snow and steel is that at the end he goes. There's a bit at the end where he talks about going around the battlefield and how he uh, in his old in the old days in NATO they used to they used to practice for the Fulda Gap in the in the Ardennes and all that sort of thing and how you know happy days of digging around in foxholes and finding shell casings and all that sort of thing. What's really great, I think, about Victory in the West is he's not saved that for the end. That's how the book reads throughout. Mm. So you'll sudden he'll suddenly go when you go, you know, when you go there, like I did in 1992, and with with this old boy who pointed at the pointed at the you know that the, the nape of the hill and said that's where I was and that's where they were. It's it's seeded through the book and it's it it's much more personal as a result, more intimate, and that makes the history more personal, more intimate and reminds you that it's people and not chaps on maps and arrows and, and, and endless formations. Yes. And armies. It's, it's, it, he, he's brilliant on those little anecdotes. And, it's, it's, and, it's and I love the little bit where the, he's with this chap, he's talking about operation veritable and he says, yeah. and I was actually with the commander of that particular unit um, yeah, some yeah, years yeah. ago. And, and yeah. you know, we, we got, it was very cold and similar weather yeah. and uh, we didn't have hot chocolate that morning, but we did have a cup of tea and, you yeah, know, and, yeah. Or, or something words to that effect, or maybe they had, they didn't have a cup of tea, but they did have a hot chocolate. We had hot chocolates. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and he pointed out this and I, it did make me think. And you, you know, w- yes, it reminds you of the human, the human story, which, you know, as yep. you know, I kind of think is the heart of the, our interest yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it also just gives you that unbelievable assurance that you're in an incredibly safe pair of hands. Yeah. So that when he starts making judgments on things, you you yeah. feel you can trust what you're reading. And I think yeah. trust in your author is really important. And one of the one of the great yeah. tricks about narrative history, popular yeah. narrative history, is readability with authority. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two. That, that's your little ridge line, your narrow ridge line. You're trying to, you're always trying to traverse. Yep. And if you go too far into the kind of, into the light reading, making it easy to read, you lose the authority. But if you yeah. go too much into the authority, you lose the reader because there's just too much detail. Yeah. So it's a yeah. really hard line to walk. And I think he's 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 nailed it in this one. Uh, it's, it's and that authority it's, just becomes so instinctive and and so. Uh, so easy to trust because yeah. of these. You, you think, ah, oh, here's a guy who's been walking this ground for forty years. Yeah, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, just the sort of, I mean, uh, and what's really great, it, uh, um, and we talked about this about uh, uh, last week. You know, Paul Fassell and all that sort of stuff. Um, what's really great is he is he paints in a whole sort of part of the the American army actually of the U.S. Army yeah. and their campaign that just isn't. That just doesn't feature because, after all, you know th- th- we've had a, we've had the best part of eighty years of headline grabbing by by some celebrity generals. Yes, <laughs> you know, uh, clean on burnishing their reputations as as warrior kings and all that sort of thing. I mean, Terry Allen, what an interesting man! Oh, what a guy! You know? And, and I also mean, he was man, amazing in in North Africa and well, and then get but then and then but falls out falls with Bradley. Bradley. Falls foul of Bradley because basically he lets he lets his men drink. And do their R and R. And Troina takes too long. That's right, and he's not keen on saluting 
and all that. Um, and so as a result, Bradley thinks, right, well, you know, I need, and Bradley, Bradley, after all, has invented, reinvented officer training in the US and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and is, is being a broom, not necessarily a new broom by this point. He's the broom and yeah. he sweeps in and, 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 and gets rid of Alan. Which I think is really, really interesting. And the ten American generals tend not to get second chances. If you're fired, you're fired. And what's interesting is Alan does get a, a second chance and comes back. And he's every you know, bit as good, if not better. Oh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he's you know, amazing. Um, it, it, an amazing, an amazing guy. And everyone loves him. Everyone yeah. thinks he's a, a top bloke. And just that. that, that Terry Delameza Allen. That's right. Great name. The, but he's painting these people in, yeah. which I think is really, really interesting. You know, well, I mean, literally all of them, isn't he? I mean, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. There, there well, is not we, a, there's not a single part of of the of the U.S. Army in the ETO that doesn't get yeah. covered. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, people like Weaver, who has four, you know, has to be replaced after his fourth heart attack. I mean, what's yes. you know, yeah, yeah, what yeah. on earth's going on? I mean, it's it's. I, I, I mean, I absolutely loved it. And what's really great is the the bouncing the Rhine thing. Or the getting across the Rhine thing is it, the the way Peter has completely he's completely pulled the wings off the fly. The 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 the, 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 the idea is that Patton just improvises a crossing, yeah, and that oh Mon- Montgomery got all the resources, you know, which is and all this is all of that is after after spill from that disastrous press conference where Montgomery, Montgomery rubbed everyone up the wrong way post Battle of the Bulge, yeah. you know, yeah, and and, and said, you know. I, I, I saved today. Thanks very much. You know, thank, thanks to me <laughs> shortening our lines, everything, everything went better. And it's, you know, but, but, and, and, and so as a result, the Americans are saying, oh, he got all the resources for his Rhine crossing and we didn't, we just, we just hopped across and we improvised it. But if you know anything about the American army up to that point, they don't improvise anything. Everything's very carefully worked out. Everything's about training and planning and logistics and, you know, uh, and that's what that's what Patton is doing. Is he's preparing? He's, he's he's got his entire bridging effort together, ready to ready to cross the Rhine. And he's been yeah. training his men and bringing the Bailey stuff forward and all that, all that, which which is not the traditional account. It's not the received account, is it? That yeah, no, I think I think he's really good. And actually, um, we were talking the other day, weren't we? Say, so, and I was arguing yeah. that that. Um, Patton's always known as a sort of tactical general, but actually, I think yeah. operationally, he's absolutely, you know, that's really where his strength lies in a way more yeah. than his tactical strength. Yeah. Uh, and, and Peter, yeah, but Jim, you can't out, do, t- you can't do tactical well unless you're sound operationally. Right. This, I think that's it. The, it's, that's, that's exactly that's right. The, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, completely. But, but I think it's, it, it, it's absolutely fascinating that what's amazing about this book is as much which I suspect is, is going to be unfamiliar to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, after the Battle of the Bulge, then crossed the Rhine, and you know that was it, and it all ended. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's all sort of done in a couple of sentences. But the bits that are familiar, Remagen, um, yeah. crossing of the Rhine, etc. Even those bits are, you know, he's completely kicking away a lot of the myths, and, yeah. and I think that's just fantastic. And it is absolutely not um, just for the sake of it. It is because he is the first person to look at this. With the level of of all round understanding, yeah, um, and, and so he's able to put this into a kind of better context. I mean, I the, the, just the, the. I mean, there British... is simply no book. There is there has been no book like this. No, and the I mean the British the British part of the I mean the you know Varsity Plunder. 
I've not read anyone write about it like that before. And to no. properly contextualise the use of airborne divisions, rather than just go, oh... Yes, he's know, sort of broadly in favour, isn't he? I mean, he yeah, thinks, he is, you know, why not? He's not doing the, oh, they've overlearned the lessons of Arnhem, which is what you always get yeah. when, when, when you, you know, oh, it, it was costly and pointless. He's saying, actually, well, it definitely saved lives because they, they neutralised lots of guns at the rear. Yeah, yeah. And, and meant that you could break out, you know, your breakthrough... Your breakthrough yes. enables your breakout, and the, and they're used to yes. they're used to break through, and and uh, uh, I mean just all of it is so, is is beautifully just beautifully told, and then just but also he does that seeding through of it's the stuff about um, the black market, you know, that that springs up out of the American supply thing, you know, and that it attracts Eisenhower's attention. The black market matter came. I love this 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 paragraph. The black market matter came to Eisenhower's attention when supplies of his favourite Johnny Walker black label scotch were diverted by thieves. And in one 30-day period, only 11 million out of 77 million packs of cigarettes reached US troops in Europe. This was at a time when 55 billion cigarettes were supplied to the US War Department in the last six months of 1944 alone. Wow. Just think, just just, the, the, the scale of that. You know, and they said, Ica three packs a day man ordered an immediate inquiry. I mean, it's just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the other thing is 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 why yes. I, I think i mean you you touched on it but i think it's worth just sort of mentioning it in slightly greater yeah. detail is that of course you know when we think of of the americans in the etu yes we think of bradley and we think of the hurt forest and yeah, yeah. and arkan and things like that yeah, yeah. and I, I suppose crossing the rhine yeah and we think of Patton, of course yeah. but we don't really think you know the, the Sick Farmy Group. I mean, who's ever heard yeah. of Sick Farmy Group? Well, I, I suspect most people have. Some people might have heard of Seven Farmy, Patches Seven Farmy. Yeah. I, I wonder how many people have heard of Jacob Devers. Yeah. I, I wonder how many people have heard of the French, the First French Army. Um, yeah. You know, Delatra, the the general, um, fighting side by side with Seventh Army. Yeah. And what he really does is give full weight to Sick Farmy Group. Which is the one that lands Operation Dragoon on the fifteenth of August, nineteen forty-four. Yeah, um, you know, around the south coast of France and, and moves its way up. Um, and they have fighting, which is every bit as tough and difficult yeah. and thorny uh, uh, as as Twelve Army Group. You know, yeah. with First with Army yeah. and Third Army and Ninth Army yeah. and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think he's really good at that, and I think he's really good at doing these little sort of potted character biographies yeah. of all the senior generals. Yeah. and suddenly they sort of come back to life again. Um, and I was fascinated by all that stuff in the, the, yeah. the sort of the um, Sikh Army Group stuff, particularly the relations with the French, which I thought were fascinating, and how they well, were handled, yes. and, and de Gaulle kind of meddling and, you know, them taking kind of, you know, ignoring orders and just going over boundaries, which, you know, in the narrative of other parts of the war have been kind of sort of massive great black marks against the British, you know, Monty and yeah. Sicily for whatever. Yeah. And here are kind of just sort of, not even a footnote. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. They're just events, aren't they? They're just I mean, events. It, you know, it's extraordinary. It, it is. I mean, the the other thing is the sheer scale of it of of the advance into once they're over the Rhine, the advance into Germany, the sort yeah. of distances covered. I mean, that's the other thing is you know, there'll be a forty. You know, because we, we talk about the Great Swan a lot. You know, we we've tried to on this podcast redirect people to the idea of the Great Swan. You know, with great distances being covered. Once they're in Germany, they're doing sort of 40, 40 50 mile hops in a day. And and the logistic again the logistic for for that the, the Americans obviously the German resistance has sort of dissolved or, or coherent resistance has dissolved by this point but it's nevertheless still extremely dangerous, um you know because because of I mean because of the invention of a man portable anti tank weapon 
you know, because of the Panzerfaust, suddenly everything is really, really dangerous. And there are enough pockets of, of German diehards to, to exact a cost right to the end. Yeah. And, the, you know, the American, the, and, 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 and both, you know, both the, both the Duke forces and the, the Americans have to perform this extraordinary balancing act of keeping their morale going when the war has reached a stage of horror with yep. discovering all the death camps. Um, the, the peculiar business of some towns simply surrendering and other towns fighting to the last round. And there's, I mean, the, that, you know, that you it's like tossing a coin when you arrive somewhere in, you know, when an American outfit turns up in somewhere in Germany, it's it's a, a complete crapshoot as to whether they're going to be resisted or not, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, I, I yeah, go on. No, well, no, and, and how you deal with that, you know, uh, uh, tactically? Do you do you go in, do you go into every town looking for trouble, or do you go into every town hoping there isn't? You know, what do you what what? How do you even address that as a as yeah. a as a as a as a general, as a brigadier, as a as a battalion commander? What do you do? I mean, it's, yeah. An extra- the book is so good. Well, I mean, w- one absolute example of that is a Schaffenberg, which I was completely oh struck by, which is oh on the River Main. So they've crossed the Rhine, everything's going fine. Yeah. It's General General Hyslip, whoever yeah. heard of him, for example, General yeah, yeah. Hyslip's 15th Corps, which includes the 45th Thunderbird Division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the 45th Thunderbird Division are really interesting because they're guys who've been in Sicily beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then get put into 7th Army. They stay in Seventh Army, rather. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I think they're in Southern Italy to start yeah. off with, attached to Fifth Army, then moved back to Seventh Army for the invasion of um, of, of, of Southern France. Yeah. So they're kind of super experienced, and you're coming across this little town, which is you know thirty thousand people. So, you know, what's that sort of size of Sirencester or something yeah. like that? You know, yeah. Um, not a major town, but unfortunately. Um, this is the, um, the, the governor, the kind of sort of, um, senior civil person in Aschaffenburg. He's a chap called Major yeah. Emil Lambert, who's yeah. a First World War veteran and an absolute Nazi. Yeah. And takes to heart, you know, what Hitler's saying is, you know, every city must become a festung, a fortress and must be fought to the last man and all this kind of stuff. And it's Stalingrad syndrome, isn't it? Um, and. Yeah. And Lambert kind of thinks, this is what I must do. You know, I must do the kind of the gallant last stand. I must kind of fight, you know, for every single yard, every house. And, you know, Peter makes a point that, you you know, the the, the Thunderbirds go in and every time they go in, they they just don't know whether it's going to be a piece of cake or whether it's not going to be a piece of cake. Yeah. And this is one where it's not going to be a piece of cake because these guys have been told to fight. And it's a, you know, it's a ad hoc mixture of Volksgrenadiers and Waffen SS yeah. and police and stragglers and old men and young boys. It's the usual story armed with Panzerfaust yeah. and machine guns and rifles and pitchforks. Yeah. And obviously the Thunderbird Division have heavy weapons, but in terms of manpower, it's kind of almost a parity. Yeah. It's not. It's not an overwhelming number, yes, and so it just turns it's... into this ghastly, utterly pointless slog. Yeah, you know, for no reason whatsoever. That you know, the, the, a Schaffenberg is going to fall. You know, the, the the German defenders are going to be killed or rounded up. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it has no other solution. The war is going to be lost, 
So the whole thing is just so completely pointless. No, it's 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 a very weird it's a very weird episode, and and uh, and and you can see you can completely you can completely see why that 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 um you know that all I mean it, it goes across the board, doesn't it? Both armies, both but yeah, but the you know the the British and the uh, you know Commonwealth and the Americans that they, they reach this point of well, you know what. We'll flatten this town then, if that's what you if that's what you're going yeah, to do. Yeah, that's what it takes. If that's what it takes, and we'll call some strategic bombing in, and yep. we'll you know because because I mean I mean the, and this the place will be no more. It will be no more, and the it, choice I mean, is cause, yours. Because because strategic bombing by this point is almost on the cab rank, like like yep. tactical air force, yep. isn't it? And yeah, and, and you know, all right then, we'll all right then, we'll call in some B seventeens or liberators, or whatever, and flatten the place. And I, I think what's what's the the destruct the other the other thing that I re I think you really get from this is the sheer destruction of Germany by the by the end of the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible, isn't the, it? The, but the, but the, that's what you have to do. To, you know, that's what the Allies conclude is what they have to do to defeat Germany is yep. completely is completely destroy it. Yes, but but and, and the and the awful thing is is it is really is a handful of people. Yeah, who are preventing this end, and it's yeah. also people like um, SS General Paul Hauser, who who <sighs> you may remember was kind of came in as as commander of two SS Panzer Corps yeah. in Normandy, and then when Dolman dies on the twenty eighth of June up in Cherbourg, yeah, Hauser takes over as Seventh Army Commander in Normandy, and by this stage he's Army Group G, but of course you know it's not really a group of armies; it's a mm-hmm. it's a bunch of disparate, yeah. Well, it's a, you know, a, little a, festings cla- and classic scratch force. Scratch force. Yeah. But he says on the 26th of February, he who gives up the fight is not only a coward, but he also betrays our women and children. All soldiers separated from their units who are found loitering on roads in towns with the trains claiming to be stragglers are to be executed on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And when the Americans finally do clear the town, they find loads of, of hanged Germans who've mm. been killed with that kind of Todd Allen Verreten yeah. death to all traitors written around their necks. And, and and Lambert has been responsible personally for shooting a number of them, including yeah. a lieutenant yeah. under his command. I mean, it's yeah. just absolutely yeah. astonishing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it takes hideous, six it? days, six days. Yeah. He says. He says. Says after um, after six days of hand to hand fighting in the rubble, a Schaffenberg was finally prized from Lambert's fanatical army on the third of April. The mad major did not commit suicide, but surrendered to Lieutenant Colonel Felix Sparks, commanding the third battalion of the hundred fifty seventh Infantry, who had directed much of the fighting. I mean, what a cock! Yeah. Well, but there's endless. I mean, that's the, another signature of um, of this kind of resistance, isn't it? Is, is at yeah. the end of it, they tend to get in an aeroplane and fly away. The bloke has been encouraging yeah, everyone. Such get, bastards! Jump, jump in their fees and stalk. It's just and yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just or, unbelievable. Or, or, but yeah, as Peter points out, you know, it's not a, a case of of house to house fighting. It's room to room fighting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, 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 yeah. Bonkers, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And often, often enough, it's running into you know um, cadet camps as well, isn't it? Is, yeah. is the yeah. that tends to be a, a big a big problem um, where where you've got where you've obviously you've got you know diehard NCOs and officers who are politically motivated, and then kids who don't know any better who've been p- politically indoctrinated. I mean, I, I've I, I mean, 
I, I mean, I, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful book, and I really, really hope it does as well as it deserves yeah. to. I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because on this podcast, we have these discussions about books. You know, obviously, we get contacted a lot about people who've got new books out and all the rest of yeah. it. Yeah, and I'm always a little bit reluctant because I don't want us to turn into a book show. No. You know, we're, we're not a book show, but but and we tend to talk about books when we're reading them or because we're we're excited about something or we're learning yeah. something new or you know, and I also like learning stuff new from other sources other than just books yeah. yeah yeah you know so you know last week i was talking to professor timmy gambine and um in malta who's a marine archaeologist yeah. yeah who's dived on 50 aircraft wrecks around malta Amazing. and and discovered hms urge this submarine so yeah. um it, and more of that later in the week i think yeah um but you know that's the kind of stuff that's really really inter- you know it's fascinating to get that insight into someone else's world which is not my world you know yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. marine archaeologist i mean how cool is that but I think sometimes it's really worth us getting excited about a major new work. And I think you have to say this is a major new work. And yeah. I, I think it does deserve, quite apart from the fact that Peter's a great friend of ours, I think yeah. it does deserve us spending a little bit of time talking about it, particularly yeah. when you consider the day that this is going out. <laughs> Poor old Peter's going through a triple heart bypass. I know, I know. Um, so, you know... Well, thoughts with peter and hope yes. he's going to be okay i'm sure he will i spoke to him yeah. yesterday and he was incredibly chipper and talking about yeah. ernst junger who he's diaries he's been reading about the occupation of paris right and he's been getting so he's, to know he, he got to know a, a guy in the in the bed next to him on the in his hospital in yeah. paris was telling him about you know they got chatting and everything was telling peter that uh when he was a boy during the occupation in paris there was a photo in the his dad had a cafe yeah and they had to have a photograph of the fuhrer up in the cafe yeah so as a young boy it was kind of near the end of the war uh, near the end of the occupation and he was taking little imaginary pot shots at this picture of of hitler <laughs> and suddenly this big burly nco comes in and he walks over to him and he was only little he was only sort of 5 or 6 or something and he says if i ever see you do that again Trust me, you will never ever see your family again. Jesus. And he told Peter that he's been traumatized by this ever since. Yeah. And he's got his massive he's a I think he's a photographer or an artist or something. And he said that he's he's never been able to cope with portraits ever since. Just can't can't look at them. Yeah. Wow. I mean Blimey. Isn't that amazing? But it's, it's typical amazing. of Peter that he would end up with someone who tells him a story. Yes, of like course. That. Yeah, so one hundred percent on brand. Adam's event. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even even in his hospital bed. Amazing. Even in his hospital bed. But anyway, but listen, back to Creek because you've, you've well, been yes. in Creek. Well, week, yes. Well, yes. Um, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're going to take a very very quick break, um, and we'll be back in a second. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008... 
Was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. It was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy, too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics U.S. wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, of course. And by the way, a reminder of We Have Ways Fest. Yes. July the 22nd to the 24th, the festival for um, this podcast. Um, we threw one in September last year. It was a, an incredible event with uh, talks and tanks and tankards. And uh, it's got its own website now, the festival. Um, do please check it out. Wehavewaysfest.co.uk. That's wehavewaysfest.co.uk. An incredible array of speakers um events stuff um uh, and uh, and hopefully um you won't drink it dry this time anyway yes so i've been to i've been to i went to crete last week for for me holidays uh jim um, yeah and uh it was very much a you know a decompression holiday we're gonna we're gonna stay in an all-inclusive uh discover that if you want the grilled fish it's going to cost you extra even yeah. though it's all inclusive all that you know yeah, all yeah, that yeah. Well, what do you expect but because it was in crete um uh my my darling wife said and, and it, it was your birthday and it was my birthday what do you want to do on your birthday i said well i'd really like to go to um uh, malamy well, actually and go and look at go and look at the um go and look at the airfield and the and, and the and the bridge and then can we go up to galatas and you know all that and what did she say all right and she said all right then having not really <laughs> having not really figured that we were at the other end of the island but there we go so we it's a short ride short drive we to have someone drive how short is now. short well, about an hour and a half. Well, it was much more than that. Um, no, anyway, but the point is, um, it was a 100% walking the ground um, uh, revelatory experience. Because when you go under the Taverniti Bridge, which is, the, there's a river that runs, because because Melanie's on the coast. It's basically, you know, li- literal, littoral land yes. that's flat right on the coast. Right, which is why there's an airfield there because Crete's a coastal strip along the top of the island, and then it's mountains behind. But it's 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 essentially on the beach, Malami Air, Airfield, and there's a river that runs to the down the the western end of where the um, airfield is. That was a that's dry by the by usually dry by May the twentieth by that part of the year, 
and there was some water in it when we were there the other day. But you could basically you go you there's a signpost. You go to the bridge. There it is. This great long bridge with you know steel arches, or steel triangular structure. And we got there, and at the other end, other end of the bridge, I could see there was a battlefield tour going on. Right. So we were obviously in the right place. Yeah. But but what's fascinating, you stand on that bridge and the and the, the uh Brooker Grupper who um or Grupper Brooker who landed their gliders in the dried up riverbed. Um uh so just to one side of because the idea was to capture the bridge because it's about, you know, airborne forces, coup de main, you need to you need to coup de main something. So you you catch the bridge, so you've got control of in and out of the in and out of the Airfield for, sure. for when you for when you need it, right? Absolutely classic. And the the um uh the guy on the ground puts his headquarters under the bridge. Um, uh, so you're you're there. And uh, but what's amazing about being on that bridge is you can see the windsock on the airfield. Wow, that's how close it is. Yeah, and then just up above it, so it is still an the, airfield, and it's still an airfield. It's a Greek. It's and it's a you're not allowed to take photos. There's a military. There's a Greek military base. On the on the side of Hill 107, one side of Hill 107, and you're allowed on the airbase. And they've got these old these old jet fighters all parked, dusty jet fighters parked. Yeah, yeah I can I can imagine and, it. And there's an RAF, there's an old RAF, obviously an old RAF building there that they're turning into a museum that you're allowed in. But it's this whole thing, you know, you come on this site at your own risk because it's a defence site. And there's lots of no photography bits around where the airbase is, that where where the the base is on the side of the hill. And soldiers everywhere, or you know, Greek equivalent of RAF regiment or whatever, everywhere. Um, and uh, and the, I, I bought a, I bought a, I bought a, you know, a battlefield <clears throat> uh, tour guide book. And he, you know, the author goes on and on about put your camera away, you'll get into trouble. You know, uh, Greece is always five minutes away from war with Turkey. Remember that, and all the sorts, of, all that sort of dramatic stuff. But basically, the extraordinary thing is, is then you go up. You go up Hill 107, where there's the where there's the German graveyard, and it's incredibly well presented because there's a there's a plaque um, from 2002 when they when they did a sort of when they when they when they kind of revised the graveyard and there's a sign next to the plaque going maybe the wording on this is wrong now maybe 20 years later this wording feels a bit difficult right mm. so so that there's a sense of constant revision German mm. revision of the mm. Of the whole thing. Well, it's you know. what, what I was definitely getting the sense of when I was in Germany the other week. Yeah, it's extraordinary, you know. Uh, and and then there's a then there's a you know there's a really great installation, uh, uh, um, in, in the in the sort of building at the bottom of the hill with the uh, of Hill 107 with the or halfway up the hill of the great uh, at the at the cemetery, you know. And there's the stuff about the straight up stuff about the atrocities, um, on the island, the Falschmjäger murdering civilians and photographing it, the propaganda photo photographer who photographed it, who then turned himself in to the Allies um, uh, because obviously he thought something really bad happened here. And I I took the picture, so there's no denying it. And then all the, you know, different stories of different people and different families and who the Falschmjäger were and letters home and and basically how entirely politically motivated they were, how they were, you know, you know, if we want to talk about Nazi Luftwaffe, here it, here it, yeah, here yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and there's 4,000 guys, or 3,900, I think, something like that, buried in, the, buried in this cemetery. And they're in the usual German thing of the, 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 stone on the stone on the ground, usually a couple of guys to the grave. Yeah. There's one in the corner with, you know, two names and then Funf, um, unknown, unbekannt. I mean, which is, which is pretty, mm. you know, 
It's a sobering place. Yeah. But the other thing that's sobering about it is you stand up there and you look down on the airfield. And you can see the airfield. You can see every inch of the airfield from up on this hill. So you can see what a terrible, terrible thing it was to have done to have abandoned that. This hill. And, you know, you, you think, oh, God. And uh, I just wonder whether that, that stage is a war. People would just, I just wonder whether they kind of, you know, hadn't sort of quite... It's not quite total war, is it? It's not quite. It's still sort of a little bit, sort of, you know, from from a from a a duke point of view. I wonder whether it's still just a bit kind of old school, you know, when the chips are down and it looks like you're not going to win, you just put your hands up. Well, I think, but I think I mean, it's just. I, just with, I wonder whether it's a bit easier to surrender in that that age well, at the start of the war. Just, I don't know. I'm not, I don't con- know about that. Well, it's a stark contrast to what we were just talking about. That by 1945, you dist- what you do is you destroy Germany, you level it, and you because yeah. that's how you're going to win. Rather than oh well maybe we'll come off this hill and but 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 so when we were down on the air uh, down at, uh, on the airfield the bit that you're allowed on there was an army headquarters that's who that battlefield tour was it was an army headquarters field trip called Exercise Mercury Resolve where they yes, were looking that's at, classic classic yeah yeah <laughs> where they were looking at the problems faced and and we actually ended up in a conversation about Aftrag's tactic because one of them goes yeah they, we've been talking about this are you talking to them yeah. Yeah, Great. and uh, and th- I'm going. You can't you can't give this hill up. And one of them's going. Well, I don't know. You know, the, the, you know how good's the view from up there and everything. And thinking, well, it's in cover for a start. Like, so you, you all you need to do is lead. I mean, obviously there is no art. You've not not got proper artillery on Crete, so leaving a foo up there is kind of academic. But you know, you 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 leave some. Well, they were, guns they, up were, there. they thought it wasn't a bad decision to abandon it. Well, no, they they were saying. Well, what, well, no, they wasn't that they thought it was a bad decision. They said you've got to you've got to really think about the decision. You can't just go. Oh, it's a terrible idea. Think about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and then they were saying the comms set up and all that. I said, yeah, but you know, they, they don't get decent radios until 1942. Well, yes, yeah, I suppose so, and, and all this sort of thing. And then I got this tap on the elbow from the other half. Right, you're getting in. Come on, that, we, we, it's time to go. We're going. We're moving on. We're I just on. think that's absolutely nonsense. I think. I well, think, no, no, you no. Know, the, the whole the whole were, of British strategy is is about getting high ground. The whole but they point. Were, but they were point. kicking it around. But it was also the fact that the, because the comms at all the comms was so bad, it's it's that they were saying they're talking about this idea that if you're in contact with the enemy, just what do you do? Do you do, sometimes you, do you stay put because that's where the is, is being is being in contact with the enemy where the enemy is. Or is is it just that you're in contact with the enemy? Because after all, you know the the the, the Mercury battle plan is a series of ink spots. Yes, yes. But if you're if you're if you're on top of Hill 107, <laughs> you're going to yeah, know what the other dispositions are along that that north coastline. I know. I know. Yeah, you're going to know that you've got key high ground because you can yeah. see the airport. You're going to e- equally know that the air f- airfield is absolutely crucial yeah. to the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to. I think I think it was absolutely disgraceful that it was about. No, it's, it's, you've, it's got, an you've, got, you've got to stay there and slug it out and hope you get reinforcements. Yeah. No, it's gone terrible, gone. terrible, terrible. Simple decision. as that. There's no yeah, debate yeah. at all. I know, I know, but I mean, it's it's just really interesting. And then, of course, you know, um, uh, that, that uh, Colonel Andrews sort of redeems himself later on um, in the way he gets his men to fight. And one of the one of the I think one of the things that I mean, it's interesting. You talk about maybe I mean it's maybe paratroopers. It's blokes coming out the sky, and you think. What do we do now? You know, you're you're, you're being sci-fi attacked, Even? aren't you? No, but no, but you know what I mean. Well, obviously, but you know what I mean is it does feel like if you've got no air, if you've got no air um, support, which at that yeah. point they haven't. No. The British on Crete have got the Duke force has got no air support at all, and and a parachute armada comes at you, 
And you've heard all these stories about the paratroopers since the previous summer. It might just feel that like you're being outclassed technologically. And you think, um, you, you know what I mean? I mean, the other thing we talked about is if you're if you're a Falschenjäger um, and you've been dropped on Crete, it's not like the it's not like being a paratrooper being dropped in Normandy, where there's this colossal navy behind you shelling everything in sight mm. and a giant air force. You've got nowhere to go but forward if you're no. those Falschenjäger and woods to hide in and you yeah, know, yeah. So so tactic is sort of yeah. If you want, you can call it that if you want, but it's also like. There, there is there there can be no withdrawal if you're in yeah. that situation <laughs> yes yeah. you know um yes yeah, so you can't exactly sort of hunker up into a kind of dried riverbed can you because yeah, exactly because you're because you're reliant on your the stuff you've landed with you can only you can only really go you can only really go forwards or 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 kind of or, or be killed it's the it's the yeah. it's the, the sort of basics of it but anyway then but we went it, up but, to- but, sorry but i was just gonna say but when you were there, I mean, one of the things I always think is so brilliant is, you know, you, when you are on the ground, is that one has a sort of picture in one's mind's eye, which is based around just picturing it and imagination and yeah. black and white photographs and all that kind of stuff. But when you're yeah. actually there, it is always different to how you imagined it was going to be. Oh, yeah, Not yeah, entirely, yeah. but but the way it all fits together, the kind of, well, you know, just how high what Hill 107 is well, for or me, how low thing, it is or whatever. I mean, for you, thing, what, the, what, what was oh, it? Oh, how close, how close it all is to each other. How tiny that space is. The contested space there is not very big at all. Um, was the thing I really took away from it. The, 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 when you're on the, when you're on the Tavernicki bridge, the, the airfield, the airfield is over there. You know, it's, 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 it's I mean, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's at the end of the road sort of distance yeah interesting you could and you could see that so you know but you also if you know you're in the riverbed you can probably contain them in the riverbed if you've got the high ground if they get onto the airfield it's flat you can see every inch of the airfield from up on the hill you've got brands they haven't yeah but also the hill's not that big so you sort of think containing maintaining a battalion position on there the problem would be really um one of one of congestion rather than um coverage I also I think know. the other the other problem is it's just the messaging wasn't clear from the top. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not it's not clear from Wavell, it's not clear from from Freiburg. I mean, no. you know, why does France lose in 1940s? Because it doesn't hold on to the nodal points. You know, what yeah. do we mean by nodal points? We mean crossroads, key pieces of land, yeah. rivers. Um, you know, a town that has a sort of you know a confluence of roads and, and rail networks or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that's what Malemi is. It's 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 a nodal point, and if you yeah. lose your nodal points, you lose. It's just as simple as that. And why yeah, yeah. isn't it? Why hasn't it been drummed into everyone that whatever happens, this is the key ground. Do not lose the airfield. Well, Do not lose this ground. You know why is it that a that a battalion commander is having to make these decisions? Well, because you know it, it should be yeah, because his brigadier doesn't know what to do, and his yeah, brigadier right. doesn't know what to do because his general doesn't know what to do, but, but, because the field marshal doesn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it's just it, it goes right to the very top. Yeah, I mean, anyway. then we went to Galatas, and Galatas yeah. is where there's that amazing counterattack where the you know there's the blood curdling howl of all the of all the um, uh, yes, you know, British and Kiwi and Australian soldiers who who storm the village and absolutely kick the. Um, you know the the uh, um, Gebirgsjäger out mm. and turn them over and and that's you know a sort of dusty little Greek village on a hilltop. Amazing. And, and you could just pick uh, 
that was the and we drove around around it looking there's a museum there but it was shut we drove around around it looking for this museum so we got a sense of the size of the place the scale of it and what that must have been like because it's uphill uphill to the top of the village sits on top of the hill so they go in they go up a hill at dusk yeah and absolutely kick the bejesus out of the the, the germans there wow and 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 you do get the sense because because after what there are a series of actions where actually the duke soldiers do very well and 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 the you know battalion level and it, and apart you know apart from the infamous one at hill hill 107 decision where where actually they they stop the gebergsjäger in their track they stop the falschjäger in their track tracks and you sort of think the problem the problem seems to be higher up that you can get men to fight you can get the infantry to fight it's just that Five days in, they're all all the officers, all the brass. Five days in, go. Well, the men are awfully tired, and you get the feeling, yeah, but they're fighting like they're fighting like devils. You know, men are awfully tired. Going to have to do you, and you sort of think, well, the, if you're tired, the Falschmjäger surely exhausted. You, you, you know what I mean? And it's this. It, it feels like it feels like this sort of ah, maybe we need to maybe it's not worth like you say maybe it ain't worth it. And of course, Crete isn't worth it. Isn't worth it. There is that. Anybody. There is that. There is that. Well, I'm glad you've. I'm, I'm glad you had such a good time. I mean, oh, it was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. And then when you were at Her- Heraklion, yeah, which is amazing. Is I've been there. Yeah, and the, well, and there's the Charlies, which are the two, mm. the two hills, yeah, the two right. round hills. And you know why they're called that? Mm, well, I've forgotten well, if I did. Well, it's an Australian battalion, um, so it's they, they look like breasts. A nice pair of Charlies. It's what yeah, it yeah. Yeah, mate. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, and, and and you know, obviously, Iraq, Heraklion, the, the 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 Germans are complete are destroyed in that attempted landing, and so you sort of think, ah, it's it's, you know, it's it, that the finer margins in this thing, yeah, and it kind of comes down to Hill One Hundred Seven, I think, which is yeah, yeah, terribly, yeah. terribly sad, really, because it's such a dark thing. Yeah. But isn't it good anyway. walking the ground? I mean, it just it is. is. Uh, oh, and, oh. and, of course, we shall be in out in Nijmegen and Arnhem next week. Yes, we will. Yeah, exactly. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening. Don't forget, um, uh, wehavewaysfest.co.uk, where you can join us at the festival in July. Peter um, is intending uh, to be there. Peter is so. intending to be there. Um, uh, we will see you all soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Cheerio.